Good morning. That was kind of weak. Let's, let's try something else. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. We'd be, we, would, we would have no hope. God is good. Yes, he is. I was looking at my Friday's message, and somehow it's up here again. <laughs> so I don't want to do Friday's over. Uh, whew, it's good. Jesus Christ is the hope that every believer has in this world. Without that hope, we would be lost and in trouble. And that's what I'm going to teach about today, a hope in Jesus. Here at Calvary Restore, we've had several deaths, one right after the other. And uh, it can wear on you. And I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ resurrected because I know where my brothers and sisters are when they leave here. And if we don't have that hope in Christ, we will live a, a terrible life because we would have no hope. And I want to start off as I was getting this message together, I'm reminded of a hiking trip me and several others took when we were at Gwinnett. And um, no, we, we were here. But we went to Black Rock and we were all excited we're going hiking. And I, I must say this, we even had an Eagle Scout with us. So I had no fears. I had no worries that we would go to the trail. We would hike the trail and we'd get back in plenty of time. I wouldn't get hungry. I wouldn't get thirsty. I wouldn't get any of those things. I remember Gabe was with us. We had about eight or nine kids and we started out, we were all excited. We were going hiking. And we were hiking, and we continued the hike. And then finally, someone said, I think we're going the wrong way. <laughs> By that time, we had drank all of our water. We had no food to eat. And I had to remind myself that I was a youth pastor, so I did pretty good, but not that good. And so we're following and Gabe, I think, was the first one who said, we're going the wrong way. And I had so much confidence in Caleb Harris because Caleb is the Eagle Scout. And I said, I'm, I'm, we're fine. So even when Gabe turned around and said, we, we've got to be going the wrong way, I had to start leaning over to Gabe's side. Yeah, Caleb, you've messed us up. <laughs> but you know what? We continued to walk until we saw some other people going back down the trail and they said, no, you guys are going the wrong way. And what started out as a happy, as an excited, as a fabulous uh, Saturday morning, all of a sudden we were dragging. All I was thinking about is just getting home to eat a box of oatmeal cookies. That, that, <laughs> And to be warm, to, to have those oatmeal cookies in my recliner with milk and to kick back and watch a football game, th that was heaven. That's the only thing that kept me going because we had walked a long way. We had walked a long way. Lori, by this time, Lori Bowman was all frustrated. I'm frustrated. We're all frustrated. We're mad at Caleb because he's the Eagle Scout. Gabe had told us probably five miles before we turned around, we're going the wrong way. But as we started, when we turned around and we started going back, what kept me putting one foot in front of the other, because we had walked a long way, is the hope that I had of getting home in a warm bed, electricity, I could go to the bathroom, all those things kept me going. That was hope. And that's what we need. We need hope. It's critical in the Bible, hope. It's critical 
Your tanks need to be filled. We are believers in Jesus Christ with hope. And when your hope gets blurry, and when your hope gets uncertain, when your hope is not clear any longer, then all of a sudden, your heart becomes heavy. It's like trouble just waiting to happen. Because if you don't have your heart filled with hope, all of a sudden, you will become cynical, you become critical, you become a complainer, you're discouraged, and you're frustrated. It's terrible. You can tell I've been there. And Jesus, he's really clear to live the Christian life in this world. It says in John 16, the beginning of it anyway, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. And then he tells us in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble, and you're going to have it in this world. We don't usually quote the rest of that verse because the rest of that verse goes this way. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And the point is, things will be hard down here. The journey may be tough down here. The trail may get hard and you may have blisters on your feet while you're walking the trail down here. Your stomach, I know this, may be growling as you're trying to find your way back home. And you might get fed up and ready to quit. But you will experience hope if you have your hope in Jesus Christ. It will be all worth it. As a matter of fact, the greatness that's at the end of the trail will so overwhelm us that it will make all of the stuff we've had to deal with down here. It won't seem so big, but you have to keep your mind fixated there. Focus on that. Before I get into the passage, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 15. I want to show you how often in Scripture the Bible speaks of hope. Colossians 3, where where God is exhorting us as Christians, if you don't keep your heart there, if you don't keep your mind there, you will be in trouble. Colossians 3, Paul is saying, let this continually motivate you as you walk through all the difficulty of your life, in your relationships and your work and your health. Keep this in mind, Colossians 3.1, if then you were raised with Christ. That's a phrase referring to resurrection. Now, before we read the rest of this, I want you to think back with me to Genesis 3. When Adam sinned in the garden, and we know what, was, what occurred and what came into the world after that death, and we have two problems that occurred from Adam's sin. A relational level problem with God, that's spiritual death, and a physical or biological problem that we have. Decay and disease, and the world has been affected. All of that is on another level. That's the physical death. So spiritual and physical. As Christians, When we get right with God, when we become born-again believers, all of a sudden, based on the work of Christ and his resurrection, we've now fixed the relational problem. We have intimacy with God. We have peace with God. The problem is we are still entrapped down here in this world with all of the physical realities of sin, of trouble, of decay, death, It's all still a reality. But Paul says, keep your heart set on things above where Christ is sitting, physical seated at the right hand of God in his physical resurrected body. Set your minds not on things on the earth. I know it's hard down here. We all have problems down here. I know there's difficulties down here. But don't get caught up 
Paul is saying by the Holy Spirit in these things that's happening down here. For you died. That's what Colossians tells us. For we died. And your life is now hidden in Christ, in God. When Christ, who is our life, and I want to ask you, is he your life this morning? When Christ, who is our life, appears, and that's future, then you will also appear with him in glory. We're going to see him face to face one day, and then we're going to be like him. I can't wait that, not being God, but we will have our resurrected bodies. He's going to change us. He's going to transform us. And if we've, in a sense, died, we will be reanimated. We will be reconstituted. We can say uh, the software will take on new software and hardware. We will be a new person in Christ Jesus. And that will be glorious to us. We will be perfect in heaven. And we will never have to worry about, this might be the most, the best part I like in this. There will never be another tug of sin again when we're in heaven. Two things you have to remember. Set your hearts there. Set your mind there. Keep your focus there. The heart of the hope is found in 1 Corinthians 15. That's what we'll be looking at, 1 Corinthians 15. And I'd better clarify the hope, because you, you can say, I hope for many different things and not be talking what the biblical hope is. But God has a biblical hope for us as it relates to our future. We need to know what's at the end of the trail for us. What are we looking for? What is this all about? It's all rooted in the historic resurrection of Christ. That's why we're here this morning. The real question is, did he or did he not rise from the dead? That's the question. If he didn't, we might as well go home and watch a lot of Netflix. No hope. But if he did, it changes everything. And it changes our future. Verse 20 of uh, 15, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says this, but now Paul says by the Holy Spirit, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, Paul has just been through a series of hypotheticals before he gets here. What if he hadn't? What if Jesus hadn't raised, but he has? So don't sleep on that. He has risen from the grave. It's an historical fact. He's been raised from the dead. Now he gives them this label. And this is, a, is an important word. Verse 20 says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He is the first fruit. In what sense is Christ the first fruit? In that he was the first one that was ever resurrected. We've had many in the Old Testament that was resuscitated. We think of Lazarus. We think of, of Elijah's uh, uh, son. We think of all those people that was, that was resuscitated in the Old Testament. But help me out. They came back with the same body. If they were broken down when they woke, went to sleep, they were still broke down when they came back. That wouldn't be such a good life. Jesus is better than that. Jesus is the first resurrected from the dead. In that, he was the first. He is the prototype of all that is yet to come. That should give us hope. Think back in the Old Testament. Whatever they sowed, they would bring the first fruit to God. It's a representation of the rest that will still be out in the field. It was the same stuff, you remember, but the first fruit is the prototype of the rest. It's the first offering of all the other stuff. And the point is not so much the emphasis on the, on the offering, but it's the correspondence that's, that we're talking of. Christ who sat days when he was resurrected was literally and physically dead. 
He sat around eating fish and wafers and all those things. They, were, they couldn't believe it. They would look at him. They, they touched him. They, did, they handled him. They did all those things. He talked with his disciples. That reality is he was the prototype for every one of us this morning. After they lower our box in the grave, if you are a believer, you can smile and say, I'll see you again. That's the hope I'm speaking of. It's going to happen to us also. The Bible says, and has become our first fruits. That's the reality for us. It's rooted in what has already happened. I don't have to guess. I don't have to uh, uh, imagine. It's already happened. That makes this hope certain. That's the hope the believer has, a certain hope, a real hope, a biblical hope. It has to be that. We have a hope that is certain. That's why we are here this morning. Biblical hope. And we see it all over the place. The triad, faith, hope, and love. I'm reminded of my son. You know, if you know anything about me, I call him bright because he thinks he knows everything. Ever since he was three years old, he thinks he knows everything. So I quickly named him bright. Well, bright, we, I remember the first time we went to Disney World. And bright, he was just enjoying the rise. He was a little kid at the time and all those things. And he turned around and he said one day while we were there, Daddy, I hope we can have one of those in our yard. That's exactly what he said. I said, well, you just keep on hoping. He, we were at the Tom Sawyer Island with the big steamboat, and he, he loved that. And he said, Dad, I hope we can get one of those. I said, maybe you can, maybe you can't. You keep hoping, though. Well, that's the kind of hope the believer in Jesus Christ should not have. That's an uncertain hope. You can almost say that's a, no, you're not going to get it, hope. <laughs> what do you ask me? But the hope of the resurrection is certain, you guys. It is a guarantee on the physical, historic resurrection of Christ. If God said, you follow me through Christ in death and life, resurrection, and I'll take care of you. If you put your trust in him this morning, it's a done deal. It's accomplished. The first fruit have already come in. Jesus has already come in. He's the first fruit. I know what's going to happen if I believe in him. Well, how do I go about earning that? And that's the whole point of the next verse. You can't. That makes it even more certain because if you can't earn it, you can't do something to lose it. Remember that. It's just something God grants by merit, by credit, by the biblical word is imputation. It is imputed to us, just like the death was imputed to us in Adam. I used to get hung up on the death of Adam. Oh, it's, it, it's Adam's fault. Why are you blaming me? But then here comes the last Adam, Christ, and he gives us resurrection life. And so you, you, you can have your choice. Adam, the first Adam, or the last Adam? God is a fair God. He's more than fair. That's the parallel right there. Verse 21 says, For since by man came death, Adam sinned. He bummed out, as John Corson would say in the Bible. By man, Jesus Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. Since death came through a man, Adam, the point of the matter is, it is not something we earn or merit. He says in verse 22, for as in Adam, all die. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. See, you were subject to death before you ever made a decision about Jesus. We were already going to die. Babies die. They are subject to death. And death was something that was credited them by a decision an act of someone else. Romans 5 tells us that. Thank God the same thing happened in the plus column. How can I achieve the resurrection of the dead? How do I get that? I don't earn it. I can't earn it. 
I must have it, the biblical word is imputed to me. I have to have it credited to me. I have to have it come through Christ's work and not mine. Well, how does that work? Well, we'll look at it. Verse 23 tells us, but each one in his own order or term, Christ, there it is again, the first fruits. When did his resurrection take place? 2,000 years ago, at least. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming, when is that? At his coming. We don't know. If somebody tells you they know, you know they don't know. Always, this is the way I keep them separated. The rapture, when Jesus is coming and he calls us up, he does not touch down on the earth. But the parousia is when he comes back and he's coming to the earth. So those are the difference. It is at the rapture. He just touched down on the earth. But it says, but when he comes, and that's the parousia, when he touched down on the earth, that's the second resurrection. That's when it takes place, which is all not to confuse you apart from the first resurrection and the second resurrection. I've told the story many times when I would go see this old man named Mr. Corley. He had to be 90-something years old, and he would always just want me to read the Old Testament. Read, and then he said, why don't we read Revelations? So I would read Revelation, and he would always get confused. Now, do I want to be in the first resurrection or the second resurrection? He act like he had it. If he forgot, he was going to be in the wrong one. He don't have to worry about that. I said, Mr. Corley, just remember one. You're in the first resurrection. You don't even have to worry about it anyway. Just pray for me. But, but <laughs> you didn't catch that. But the point is, it's the first resurrection of the living. That's the one we want to be in. And this passage is speaking about the resurrection of the righteous. And you've got to know that. That's all we have in view in 1 Corinthians 15. There's a resurrection of non-Christians, though. They don't get away. You better believe it. The Bible speaks of two resurrections, and they take place at two separate times on the eschatological calendar here. The one we're concerned with is 1 Corinthians 15. That is a positive resurrection. It raises us up to blessings, favor, honor, That's the first resurrection from God. That's what we're concerned with. Three references I want to to give you to show you there's two resurrections. Acts 24, 15, Daniel 2, the latter prophet, he starts to clarify two different resurrections there. And then John 5, 28. And I use those to show you that they are put side by side. They are two different resurrections categories, not events. That's what Joe Folch always says. The one Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, that's where you want to be, the good one, the one we want to be a part of, the one where we are raised like Christ, not to a place of retribution and punishment, but of the blessings and favor and rewards of God. That's the one we want to be a part of. And he says it is guaranteed, Paul says by the Holy Spirit, if he did it and it's going to happen just like the first fruits, the prototype. We're going to have the same body, a glorified body. Verse 23, the latter part of it says, if we belong to him. Let me say that again. If, 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 I've told you there's, when you, when, you, when you use that word, if, in the New Testament, it can be, if I hope so, or if, and it's true, and I can't think of the third one, but the second one is the one you need, if, and I know it's true. And that's why he says what he says here. Christ, the first fruits, 2,000 years ago, afterward, those who are, are Christ at his coming Whenever that is, those who belong to him. How do we get to be a part of this positive resurrection that we hear about in the text? That's that's what we need to know. Well, we've got to belong to him. Then you get to be a part of this. So there's 
only two issues this morning that makes this hope certain for me. Did he rise from the dead historically? They're still trying to find Jesus in that empty tomb in Jerusalem. And do I belong to him? If I can check both those two off, I'm in good shape. But if I can't check both of them off, you need to give your life to the Lord. I don't hope with crossed fingers anymore about that. I hope with certainty because I'm a part of his team. You know, it's like I could be the worst batter in history. And I never played baseball, but I played softball. And if you know I struck out in softball, I'm terrible in baseball. But if the D8 steps into the batter's box in the ninth inning and he hits a home run, I win. That's the way it works. Why would I win? Because I'm wearing the same jersey that the guy hit the home run, the same uniform he had. I'm on the right team. Now, I'm a lousy batter. I just told you that. I struck out every time in softball. That tells you how lousy I am. Well, in baseball, if someone strikes out every time, if someone else in the ninth inning steps up to the plate in the World Series and he hits that home run, do I get credit for it? Do I get to celebrate? I sure do. But if he did... And the team, the entire team wins. I could have the worst batting record ever, and I would still celebrate. I would still get that Atlanta Braves ring, even though I have a, a fake one that Jordan gave me. <laughs> but I would like to have the real one, Jordan. <laughs> but I'm credited. The win is credited to me. That's, what I, that's my point I'm trying to make. All I've got to do is worry, am I on the team? Are you on Jesus's team? Did he hit the ball out of the park? And am I on the team? Did he rise from the dead? Yes. You tracking with me? That's what, I, I, I'm, that's what I'm correlating. Do I belong to him? That's all that matters. I would be remiss as a pastor if I don't talk about for just a minute or two, how do I know if I'm on the team or not? That's very important. That's the whole point this morning. You've got to know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that you belong to him. That's all that matters. And we have to respond rightly to the message. Mark chapter 1 quickly, the first chapter, Mark starts with the ministry of Christ. He, he, he quickly shifts to John the Baptist ministry. This is when John gets thrown into jail. You could probably better to say a dungeon. And Jesus, when John goes into the prison, Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to minister. He comes with one message and it's the good news. The fact that my sin, that your sin can be placed on the Lamb of God. How do I get this mess? How do I get in this mess that I'm in? I'm a sinner. God is holy. How do I relate to God and have his favor and not the back of his hand? That's the problem we have to deal with. How does that work? I need my sins transferred to the Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ. Mark starts on Mark 1, 14 through 15. He says, now, after John was put in prison... Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The bad news, I'm a sinner. I deserve the back of his hand. The good news is maybe I won't get it. Maybe I'll get the blessing instead. But I've got to have my sins transferred to the Lamb of God. How do I do that? What do I have to do? Verse 15 tells us, and he, he comes preaching and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the good news. And the good news is the designated hitter is about to hit the ball out of the park. So make sure you trust in his work and not your own. 
make sure you're trusting in his accomplishments. And what you've got to do is repent. Turning away from your sin, I'll do this my own way. The Bible calls that idolatry. The Bible calls it sin. And I'm turning to God now. And I'm trusting in the DH because I can't bat. I can't hit a fastball. So I'm trusting in the designated hitter, and that's Jesus. He's going to accomplish this for me. I trust the good news of that message that someone else does this on my behalf. So repentance and believe or trust to have confidence in someone else's work and not your own. And by the way, that is so revolutionary. Most people in religious groups today sitting around church today don't get that. They don't get it. They don't understand it because they're trying to earn or they're trying to merit their resurrection. That's why if you ask them, are you sure you're going to heaven when you die? They say, I hope so. That's the best they can do. And that's a hope like Anthony had. Thinking he was going to get that boat one day. That isn't hope the Bible speaks of, you guys. You can be sure. Did Christ rise from the dead? Did he hit it out of the park with his resurrection? Am I on his team? Do I belong to him? Did you repent? Did you put your trust in Christ? That's important. Acts 20, 21, Paul comes on the scene and he says, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. So that's the Jewish nation and then everybody else. Jesus wants everybody. That all people, not just the messianic message for the Jews, to the Greeks, repentance toward God. I turn away from whatever I thought life was about. And faith, I place my faith, I turn to God toward the Lord Jesus Christ. I have faith in the designated hitter. Did he hit it out of the park? Am I on the team? Did you repent of your sins and put your trust in Christ? If you don't have that testimony, you might better do it. But all of us can be certain that the whole point it's all about meriting this. 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus wanted to make it so clear that this was not earned, it was merited. That, that he was careful in his great plan to orchestrate a conversion the moment he was dying. That wasn't happenstance. He wanted to make that point because he knows how we are. With this guy next to him who was dying, you guys remember that story? On the cross, hear this criminal hung. What kind of guy was he? He was a bad guy. Has spent his life in all kinds of bad stuff. And, had, and he's hanging on the cross. And all of a sudden, he reaches the place of repentance and faith. And when he reaches that place of repentance and faith, he calls out to Christ and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, I don't think, didn't turn to him and he said, well, you need to get off that cross and you need to start doing some good deeds. He didn't tell the criminal, you need to get baptized first. He didn't tell him he had to do anything else. What he did say, it's done. You did it. What did he do on the cross? What did that criminal do? He transferred his trust. Jesus tells him, today it's done. What about baptism? He didn't get baptized. What about walking with Jesus and making sure you never messed up? He didn't do any of those good deeds. Jesus wants to make this crystal clear. Do I need 10 years of walking upright with the Lord, and then I can be sure that I'm going to be resurrected and carried home? No. Jesus wanted to make this crystal clear. He didn't share the gospel with his friends, didn't have time to do any good deeds. Now, had he had time, you would have seen him do them. That's what 1 John is all about. 
You say you're a believer, walk like it. That's what 1 John is saying. So if this criminal would have had time, he would have did those things, but he didn't. And he asked Jesus to take him home, and Jesus told him, today you will be with me in paradise. So it's, I'm thinking of it as blinders, and one blinder is repentance, and the other blinder is faith. Jesus wanted to make it crystal clear. And I hope there's a time when you can look over your life and say, it happened to me. Because it comes down to, did he do it? And do I belong to him? 1 Corinthians 15, 23 says, but each one in his own order. Hmm. Christ the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. I want us to see the concept of a gap here, and we need to see it. Some people call it the the gap, and some people call it the days of grace. That was 2,000 years ago when it started. Jesus started the resurrected. When the church came, those are days of grace. That is what we are living in. We're living in the gap. We've got at least 2,000 years of this gap. And we all live in the gap from the time when you become a Christian. And I don't care if you're 100 years old, you are still living in the gap. And guess what? In the gap, everything isn't made right yet. Everything isn't made right yet. You need to understand that. He's hit the ball out of the park, but the scoreboard is not reflecting it. And the world is not cheering the winner on yet because there's a gap. And in that gap, there's got to be a sense if you want to live this life as a Christian successfully in which you recognize what's going to happen. When this is all done, everything is going to be all right. That's why it says in verse 24, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, there's some completion here. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, there's a completion here after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Verse 25 tells us, for he must reign, speaking of Jesus, till he has put all enemies under his feet. All the enemies of God. Can you imagine that one day? is going to be squashed. Are there any enemies of God around today? Tons. I watch Fox News all the time. I I, I can't believe it, what's going on. We live in it. But all of that one day will be subject to him. Verse 26, he says, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Is there any death floating around today? All kinds of death all kinds of decay, all kinds of baggage that goes with it. Death in relationships, death in finances, death in health, death in our fellowship. Joanne Shabelsky, she's going home with the Lord now, and I'm so thankful. I'm so glad, but we miss her. It must be a special day. I'm sure every day, in heaven is special. But it has to be a special day when Easter comes. I mean, I bet Jesus, they're just at his feet all the time. Can I hang out with you today, Jesus, for an hour? Just let me hang out with you today. I'll probably be the last one in line up there. So when he gets to me, I'll be happy I'm there. But Resurrection Sunday, I, I guarantee you, it's, it's crazy up there. And I, I can see Joanne. And I can see Gary and Sherry Jervis, their daughter up there, just giving him all kinds of attention, and he's giving it back to them. It's amazing. She's celebrating heaven today. That is going to happen. All this death, all this strife is going to be put away. All of this is going to be wrapped up and gone one day. But as of now, We live in this gap. And this is really why John 16, 33 is a principle. It's tough now, but I'm confident 
that he overcomes the world. He hit the ball out of the park, but we haven't seen it wrapped up yet. He's accomplished it through his work on the cross, but we've yet to see everything in line up under Christ one day. It will happen, and that's going to happen. What that ought to do for us, because it will be so good then, it ought to change our perspective in the gap now. It's so good when I contemplate the end of this thing that is so certain with such superlatives like all dominion and all authority and all power. I'm saying that so it's perfectly so good that it has a positive effect on my attitude now. That's why I use that analogy with hiking. The only thing kept me going, I knew I had a home and I knew I had a lazy boy chair and I knew I would be eating oatmeal cookies when I got there. We can live in this gap or these days of grace with victory because it's all been paid for you guys, but it hasn't been put in line yet. That should change my attitude. See, we need to hang on to the hope that's optimistic. Why does this hope change my attitude? Because I'm so confident it's not only paid for, but that it's so perfect when it's wrapped up. You can't help but to change your attitude down here. You can't help but to live in the gap of the first resurrection, Jesus Christ, because he's already come back. And I know if I'm his child, I'm going to get that also, my resurrection, and, and say, wow, this is going to be okay. This is going to be okay. It doesn't matter how many blisters I have on my feet. It doesn't matter how much my stomach is growling. It doesn't matter how dirty or stinking I might feel. It's all going to be good soon. That's why Jesus resurrected, so we can know, so we can have a hope. And therefore, it changes my perspective. That's what biblical hope does. So what if it rains on me? So what if my body is breaking down? And I don't mean to belittle any of that. But we're not going to be here forever. That's why Jesus resurrected, and that's why he wants everybody to know there's a hope. I can't imagine being born and living in, in Haiti. I want too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just being real. I like things. And, and my mom and dad, I was blessed with a wonderful mom and dad. They gave me what they could. Yeah, I had to work for it. But the thing is, I knew I could get it. Can you imagine living in a place like Haiti? That you, you're happy to get food or something? What about those people? And we're over here in America being blessed off our socks. Well, I want this car. I want this and I want that. And God is saying, what, what's, what's wrong with you guys? But that's what Jesus wants us to know. There's a hope coming. It might not, it's not going to happen in this life. But you must have that perspective that it's going to happen. And the proof of it is the resurrection. Your life may not ever be what you want it to be. You might have to struggle with sickness and sorrow for 90 years. But keep those blinders on. Keep them on. Faith and repentance, belief and repentance. And you can keep walking and you can do it with joy because this is not your home. And God is still so good, he will give you what you need. And when you suffer, Erica, he'll be right there crying with you. Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It means that Adam bombed out in the garden all these storms and all these hurricanes and tornadoes. It, it's not man's fault. Well, it is man's fault. But it's because of Adam's sin. Roman 8 gives us a great perspective of that future hope. 
and how it should change our attitude. Romans 8, 18 through 23, this is what it says. Paul speaking by the Holy Spirit. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, I got some, you guys got some, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed hope in us. There is something that's going to happen so great when he calls us home. It's not even going to be worth complaining. You're going to say, why did I complain? Jesus is going to say, I told you so. Told you so. But that's okay. But I told you so. You could have you got through it a lot easier. I'm faithful. I'm true. That's what he wants us to know. Got problems? Focus on hope. This hope is so good, we ought to take some cues from the creation. He says in verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the Son of God. What does that mean? It means resurrection for the people is accomplished. The creation is waiting eagerly for that. Verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to fertility Not willingly, Genesis 3, when he cursed the ground, he said, all of these sinful and rebellious people, Jesus said, he probably didn't say it like this, but this is what happened. I'll tell you what I do. I'll make the ground match the people. That's why no matter what garden you're you're planting, there's weeds there. He continues in that, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Verse 21, because of the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. That's why we have the tornadoes. That's why we have the hurricanes. That's why we have the mudslides. That's why we have all of that. Into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. All he's saying is, that the creation can't wait till this is over. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, there it is, we've got the death thing fixed. God fixed that when he saved us. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves eagerly, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. He's, gonna, he's already fixed us spiritually. We're sound. We're just going to have more of the Holy Spirit. But he's already fixed us spiritually. He's already done that. Then he will fix the physical reality. We're believers now. But the physical, the world, he hasn't changed it yet. He's already hit the home run. He's running the bases. He's ran the bases. He's tagged home. But the scoreboard does not reflect it. That's what he's saying. We can't wait. That's what hope is all about, you guys. Romans 8.24 says this. Paul says, for we were saved in this hope. Paul said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But we're looking for that hope. He says, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Verse 25 of Romans 8 But if we hope for what we do not see, guess what? It should change us. We're waiting. We're hoping. We're going to heaven. We're not hoping on that. We know that. We'll have have that resurrected body. He says we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. There's that word. Are you persevering this morning? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 28. I had to do it, y'all. I had to do it. Paul, who's probably been through more than we will ever go through. He was having a bad day, but the Holy Spirit fell on him and he wrote this. Because wherever he went, they just didn't treat him right. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. He knew how he was speaking. I am more, 
I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prison more frequently, in death often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Anybody have lived this life? I'll put the mirror on me. I know I haven't. And I guarantee you I complain more than Paul. This message is for me. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils, perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily. My deep, check out his heart, my deep concern for all the churches. Wow. But Paul kept those two blinders on, repentance and belief, faith. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, he writes this, therefore, after he wrote that, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, 200 years. Paul would still call it a moment compared to an eternal lifestyle. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but God does. Paul says, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal, far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at things which are seen, that's, that's, that's my problem. I'm praying I hear Bright say, I'm praying, but daddy, nothing's changing. Daddy, should I tithe even the bonus check I got? I didn't answer a word. I let Lydia talk to him. I think he finally did, but he calls me. Daddy, I'm praying. I'm doing the right thing. I said, Bright, just hang in there. God is no debtor to no man. He will show himself strong. Paul knows this. But at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal, you guys. I'm not trying to belittle any, any of your problems down here. But all I'm saying is they are temporary. They are temporary. They are not going to matter in the end. I ought to brag on fat girl today, but I'm not going to do it. Keep those blinders on. Repent and believe. And the outcome will be more than you could ever imagine. You might be on a tough part of the trail, but keep walking. Things will begin to lighten up, I believe. Your feet might be blistered and you might be cold from the rain. But hang in there. Jesus is right there with you also. And one day, you should be focused on what's coming. That's what's reality. I will close the worship team and come up with Revelations 21, 1 through 7. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Told you it's going. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, consider this, the tabernacle of God is with men. We have just a little of him now, if you're a believer. The Holy Spirit is in us. One day, we can't contain him, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have all passed away. Then who sat on the throne said, behold, consider this, I make all things new. We have this hope. I wouldn't want to live down here forever. Now, if I stayed at 18 or 20 with what I know now at 63, it might be hard. But I've told you before, God is so good. When I didn't know him, I could pick my afro and I never forget looking in the mirror and said, man, is that a gray hair? And then it seemed like six months later, I'm picking it against, damn, that's a gray hair? You used to could pull one out. Now I, I begin to have so many as I forget it. I just cut it, whatever. <laughs> God is good. All these signs, he's warning us. This is not your home. This is not your home. You're not going to be here forever. I think I told y'all, I was about the age of 30 when the first time I felt it. Because as, as a little boy, you just jump out of bed. No hurt ankles. Just jump out of bed. You start doing what you do. When I hit 30, 32, I jumped out of bed one day and said, well, I can't do this anymore. He's just warning us. He's saying, you're not going to be here forever. Are you going to give your life to me? And those that already have and still suffering with things, he's saying, keep those blinders on. Repentance and faith, hope. Keep them on. It might be tough down here now. You might be deteriorating. I'm right there with you, suffering with you. And I'm going to be right there with you when I call you home. It doesn't matter. I didn't bill you to last forever down here. And that's why the scripture tells us, keep your eyes on things that are above that's where you have to keep your, that's how you walk with the Lord. The kids may be doing things that they shouldn't do. They may be rebellious, but so what? Keep praying, but you keep your eyes on me. I'm, I, I've got it all handled. Why are you going to have a nervous breakdown, then the kids are saved, and then you can't even enjoy them? We have to have trust. We, he wants us to trust him. He wants us to hope in him. It's going to be all right. Why do I know it's going to be all right? Because the first fruit has resurrected. That's why. That's why. He told me. He told me I'm going to resurrect. That's your hope. You're not going to be here forever. But you should live holy lives because I'm, I'm going to resurrect. And I've, I've, I've given you the proof of it. I can see if he still hasn't resurrected and he's saying, but I'm going to resurrect, but I'm going to resurrect. Just hang in there. No, Jesus is too good for that. He resurrects and says, hey, I'm the proof. I'm the proof. But keep your hope set on me. He knows all the struggles and all the pain with kids and, 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 and things that you go through down here. But he says, keep your eyes on me. What I've got in store for you, and you look back, if he, if he lets us look back, we're going to say, man, I should have walked a whole lot much better. Jesus. He tells us. I didn't make many A's in high school, but I did pretty good when I had an open book test. I could get a B or a C then. <laughs> but we should get A's. God is not a man that he should lie. He isn't. We just can't let the world and the things that go on overwhelm us that we lose our hope. Ambassador wrote a song called The Hope Man, and he was speaking of Jesus Christ. He's the hope man. He's the hope man. I hope in him, and I know my hope is sure the coming expectation of good things. That's what hope is. So you might not be doing so well today, or you might haven't done well in a month or two, but that's okay. God is there, and you're still getting to do things. I know you would like to do things even better. 
God is going to take us home. He loves us. He wants us all to make A's. He wants us there with him. Let's pray, you guys. Father, you are so good. Why you love me, I don't know. Why you saved me, I don't know. But I love my brothers and sisters. And I pray for them that they would not lose hope. That they would not lose hope. Lord, bless your people. Pour your spirit out upon your people. Show yourself strong. You've already showed yourself strong. You're the first fruit. We're not going to have these broken down bodies one day. I'm going to be able to skip again. (laughs) You're good to us. May we understand how good you are. We love you. We need to love you more. Would you draw me closer to you? I pray for everyone here and those that are watching that they would not lose hope. In Jesus Christ. He's already proved himself. I, I can't say he's going to prove himself. He's already proved himself. That's why we celebrate Easter Sunday. He's already resurrected. We need to keep our eyes on him. And he'll take us home. He'll bring us home. And I ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior, to the Father God. Amen. Let's stand.